0: Good day everyone and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast, broadcast from 3CR, your only radio left. Susanna here with you, and I'll be joined by other members of my Left After Breakfast team as the program continues, your favorites for a start. So welcome to regular listeners and indeed to anyone who has just tuned in. Good on you.
1: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.
0: We must, of course, remember that the 16th of February 1983 was one of the greatest disasters we've ever seen in Australia, the Ash Wednesday bushfires. Oh, well... Who could forget them? Within 12 hours, more than 180 fires, fanned by hot winds of up to 110 kilometres per hour, caused widespread destruction across the states of Victoria and South Australia. They were the deadliest bushfires we'd ever seen, until, of course, sadly, the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009. In the Ash Wednesday fires, 75 people died as a result. 47 in Victoria and 28 in South Australia. I lost a friend in Victoria. It's very sad. Sad for everyone who lost friends and family that day. There were 14 Country Fire Authority members and three Country Fire Services volunteer firefighters lost also. Terrible firestorm conditions and incredibly ferocious flames. We won't bother going on how much was lost in buildings. I think of the individuals and their families and their homes. And of course, all the poor livestock, 340,000 sheep, 18,000 cattle, and heaven knows how many native animals. We're going to have to learn how to handle our bush. We all need to be taught indigenous practices of handling fire and making our land safe from these crazed firestorms. It just has to be done. Let's take a moment to remember the bushfires of Ash Wednesday 1983 and, of course, our fires in 2009 and 2019. Let's just think of those lives lost for a moment. Thank you, listener.
2: Spark from the devil's hand. Brought destruction on our beautiful land. Time to escape the smoke filled skies. Hundreds of lives in the blink of an eye. Stars in the sky and orange moon Looks down on the townships now barren and doomed Acres of vineyards for miles around Now acres of memories burned to the ground Too many tears to heal all the pain. If only, if only these tears would fall like rain. If only the wind had been quiet that day. No angels, no angels would take them all away. Huddled forever in the dark of the room Hearing the sound of the devil's monsoon Destroying all things that lie in its way So many good people were taken away Frightened no longer away from all harm All now embraced in God's open arms So many were lost and taken away Never forgotten in our hearts they'll stay Too many tears to heal all the pain. If only, if only these tears would fall like rain. If only the wind had been quiet that day. No angels, no angels would take them all away. Why does the wind blow? Why does the sky glow? I don't know, I don't know I don't know, I don't know Why does my heart ache? Why do I hate to wake? I don't know, I don't know I don't know, I don't know Landscape so vibrant now turned into dust, consumed in the nightmare of flames so unjust and through this wasteland we will find a way to rebuild our lives from this terrible day. darkness comes a flicker of light For the human spirit is still shining and bright With hearts united rebuilding the old The future will rise from the ashes now cold If only, if only these tears would fall like rain, if only the wind had been quiet that day, no angels, no angels would take them all away.
0: Let's start with a bit of a news roundup, what's been going on in the world. Are you feeling the pinch a little bit, listener? The money's getting tighter and tighter and food prices are going up. Just feel better when you think about the tax that we're paying and where it's put to, how it's used. The Commonwealth government has spent more than seven and a half million dollars prosecuting whistleblowers for example bernard calary david mcbride and richard boyle and if that sounds well a lot of money to you just think about the fact that most of that money resulted in abandoned prosecution the calary and witness K case alone cost the commonwealth five million five hundred and ten thousand eight hundred and twenty nine dollars You wonder how you get those, you know, $29 in there, don't you? To jog your memory a little, former ACT Attorney General Kaleri allegedly helped an ex-spy reveal info about a secret Timor-Leste mission. McBride allegedly leaked defense into the ABC and Boyle allegedly revealed unethical debt recovery at the ATO. There you go. Our taxes at work. You'll also be very relieved to find that coal mines are good for the Great Barrier Reef. Yes, they're good. Matt Canavan, the National Senator, said, We have 34 coal mines that operate in the Bowen Basin. All of them are close to the Great Barrier Reef. Most of them have operated for decades. And guess what has happened over those decades? We now have record coral cover on the Great Barrier Reef. There you have it, listener. Coal mines are good for the reef, or at least they don't harm it. Don't you feel good? The four mass bleachings in the past six years, uh, they're just a coincidence, nothing to worry about. You'll also be very relieved to find that coal mines are good for the Great Barrier Reef. Yes, they're good. Matt Canavan the National Senator, said, We have 34 coal mines that operate in the Bowen Basin. All of them are close to the Great Barrier Reef. Most of them have operated for decades. And guess what has happened over those decades? We now have record coral cover on the Great Barrier Reef. Well, thank you, Matt Kinavon. Now I know. And I know that, despite what the scientific community says, Coal mines are good for the Great Barrier Reef. Or at least they don't harm it. Aren't you relieved, listener? Of course, those four mass bleachings in the past six years are just a coincidence. Nothing more than a coincidence. Here's some happier news about coal mines. In fact, great news. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has rejected the Clive Palmer-owned coal mine proposed near the Great Barrier Reef. This is the first time ever that a federal environment minister has ever rejected a coal mine. And this comes, of course, after years and years of community opposition to this mine proposed just 10 kilometres from the Great Barrier Reef World Heritage Area. Now that is something to make you feel good. And some more good news. Thousands of refugees in Australia who have endured years of uncertainty will now be able to apply for permanent residency as the federal government moves to end a decade of refugee limbo. Thousands of refugees in Australia who have endured years of uncertainty will now be able to apply for permanent residency. The government has announced it will provide a permanent visa pathway for those who are currently on Temporary Protection Visas, TPV, and Safe Haven Enterprise Visas, SHEV, those who entered Australia before 2013. And they can now apply for a permanent resolution of status visa. There are thousands of these people in the community, and they've endured all this uncertainty due to the policies of the previous Liberal government. TPV and SAGV holders, they work, they pay taxes, they start businesses, they employ people, and they build lives in our communities, very often in rural and regional areas. Without permanent visas, however, they've been unable to get a loan to buy a house, build their business, or pursue further education. It makes no sense, economically or socially, to keep them in limbo. So that's almost 20,000 people eligible now to apply for permanent residency. Well, that's great. That talk of coal mines made me want to hear a coal mining song. But before I do that, listener... I want to remind you that it is that time of year for subscribers. If you're not a subscriber to 3CR, well, why aren't you? It must be time for you to do so now. Come on, subscribe and keep us on air.
3: When disaster hits a group of islands scattered around the ocean like Tonga, it is evident how the responses and actions can be difficult for these multitude of uh, beings have no idea what to do, plus no equipment or tools to work with. And the impact will show on everything, physically, mentally, financially, and people due to being uninformed and unequipped. So maybe this um, this is a question for the Tongan government. How can you manage situation like this better in the future?
2: Subscribe to 3CR, informed, articulate and alternative. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
4: I'm a coal mining man, I'm a coal mining man, Pick and shovel in my hand, I'm a coal mining man. A dreadful moaning sound As the mountain started shaking Timbers breaking, coming down Now the walls are closing in And the air is getting thin As I contemplate the end Of a coal mining man I'm a coal mining man I'm a coal mining man Picking shovel in my hand I'm a coal mining man Stand. Know by now, she knows that I'm trapped down in this mind. Keep her near.
0: And now let's hear from the BL from the Bush.
5: Yeah, morning, comrade. Morning, listener. This is the uh, BL from the Bush. Uh, Call on in. Hoping are all bright eyed and bushy tailed. I was talking about Tasmania and uh, some other states trying to push through legislation for harsher penalties for demonstrating and protesting. Listener, this week, a bit of a surprise for you. I'm just going to give someone else a bit of a crack at telling us what they think demonstration and, and protesting is all about. Comrade Natasha, the working class poet. Lauren comrade. Welcome and thanks for finding the time for a chat on Left After Breakfast. Natasha, do you think that the, the role of the police will be greater with this new legislation if it gets up and running on the uh, anti-protest laws?
3: Historically, the role of the police in situations like this where people are taking to the streets or people are defending their communities and acting together, the role of the police is to protect private property. You know, we live under capitalism here, that's all we can talk about from our personal experience. But my personal experience of being involved in taking to the streets over many issues... All the demonstrations that have been held in the city and out here is the police are there to defend private property and the interests of profit. As police powers increase, that's designed to decrease the power of the people.
5: Yeah, and also i just sort of like to go into that, is that I think that, and I'm sure you were there, or I know you were there, and quite a few others, which was probably the biggest demonstration I'd ever been involved in, and quite proudly involved in was when the attack was on on the workers' health and safety, on the jobs and what have you. I think there was you know 10, 15,000, if not more, took to the streets. That was when union movements got together and talked amongst each other and had a real good demo. And that did, it didn't have a 100% outcome, but it had some sort of outcome in trying to change some of the laws that were already put in there by the uh, Liberal State Government at the time. And also there was demonstrations on injured workers.
3: Yeah, that was during the Kennett era. That was the largest demonstration I'd been in at the time until then. And there were 100,000 people in the city in Melbourne against privatisation, which the Kennett government were introducing, and all these other anti-worker and anti-union laws. And we've seen the result. We see the result now. That being the case, I think, again, it's it's a message about that they fear the numbers. What do we have? We don't have all the resources of the state to draw on. We have each other and we have the numbers, and that's the principle of unionism as well as the principle of people power. That's what we have. We have solidarity with each other, and we have the numbers, and that's what they're scared of.
5: It does seem that way because when you're looking at the different states, you're looking at Victoria, so you seem to think, well, what's happening here? Well, we've mentioned the logging. What other thing is paramount in the minds of these politicians? They've got to try and get this legislation rushed through. Uh, Tasmania is is uh, quite evident what's happening down there is It's to do with the rainforests and, and keeping the place pristine as it is developers are hand in pocket there with them they want to start slashing and burning and making it into something like the Gold Coast or whatever of Queensland down there so let's let's ramp up the laws anyone any, any sort of protest against capitalism or these developers will be met with the force of the law and in Queensland as well sort of said earlier or lately was that they've had those draconian laws on the books up there for years I mean as I said, mentioned earlier about that Sequeb dispute up there there was even, they even legislated up there that if you, if you wore a T-shirt or any sort of apparel that was supporting those locked out workers, you also could have got sloughed up or just pulled off the street and please explained by, by the goose steppers up there. So yeah, it's a pretty shocking situation that we find ourselves in now today that we're Once upon a time, it was everyone got out to protest and I'm just, you know, it it was about anything. It could have been closures of local shopping strips for these big multinational bloody supermarkets and that to come in. That protest now can be met with, oh, you're obstruction and whatever and you end up getting sloughed. This is the dangerous part of all this stuff. Where does it end? And the police will be at the forefront of this.
3: Again, I look at it from the point of view of the community. And from that point of view, that's what our strength is. The strength is that people support each other. As long as we operate in that way, then taking to the streets is something that we always reserve the right to. We, we assume our freedom from the start. They want to take our freedom away. Then we fight for them. We we assume those freedoms, and I think that's that's been tried and true. If you look what happened during lockdown, when um, in the US people were taking to the streets during lockdown over the disgrace of which has now been proven of the murder of of George Floyd by the police, and here in Australia, people who've been dealing with the tragedy of black deaths in custody also took to the streets in Melbourne, like they took to the streets around Australia, but they took to the streets in Melbourne under very, very difficult conditions, being the most vulnerable to catching the coronavirus, but they handled it really well and they were able to show to people what Aboriginal people have been dealing with and their courage, the courage to do that and to continue to do that. What did they do? They took to the streets once again. This year is the 50th anniversary of the tent embassy in Canberra, which galvanised Aboriginal people around a whole range of really, really important fundamental issues of rights that, of which they'd been dispossessed of, i.e. the land. And now we have basically a cultural revolution happening From in those 50 years, that transformation... There's still, of course, that fundamental issue of the rights that people have, of course, and their conditions of living, of course. But we can say that tradition amongst Indigenous people and those who've supported those rights over many, many years have made a difference.
5: Yeah, and that was, and that definitely, you talk about protests, that was one of the original ones that put them tents up there outside the... um, Still um, there. It's Still there, that's right, yeah probably trying to say here, listener, is that, yeah, is that these laws, they'll tell you that they're just there to to stop the the radical protesters or whatever, but as we said before, you and I both know that that's that's just a smokescreen for um, more unlimited power. 3CR Would you like to share with us your thoughts or your earliest involvement in you protesting and demonstrating, sort of lead us up to where you sort of are today?
3: Yeah, I was brought up in a political family, so I was pretty political at an early age. My first experience of being in a massive demonstration was the days of the sit-ins in Swanson Street in Melbourne that uh, the likes of Jim Cairns and others were leading to get us out of the Vietnam War. And good to say that with his election, (laughs) the government that he was in, um, we did get out of the Vietnam War, we did stop conscription, and a whole lot of other things happened as a result of that too. So, I mean, that leaves quite a big mark on you. Um, Most of my adult life, it's also been the mark of the peace movement. So I was involved in a lot of different kinds of demonstrations taking to the streets over the years in the peace movement, anti-apartheid demonstrations. I'm sure people have memories of lots of those. Support of the Palestinians uh, against both wars in Iraq and famously in 2008, I think that 14th of February 10 million people around the world demonstrated took to the streets to stop them going for another war in Iraq and we've seen the consequences of the powers that be ignoring that Uh, we're still dealing with it the people in Iraq obviously are still dealing with it as uh, many in the Middle East and a lot of other issues over the years you know I'm sure the listeners will be able to think of many, many that they were involved in just from the peace movement. So that's on a bigger scale. May Day, having gone along to May Day marches, Mm -hmm. even as a child, and taking my own children, being involved actively in May Day, that, that gives us that think global, act local kind of consciousness because we take the whole world into account. Today, here we are... One of the major issues confronting us as human beings and people on the planet being climate change and a lot of these issues about changing these laws and increasing the power of the state are about the inevitable consequences of worsening economic conditions and worsening environmental conditions and the clash between the old world and the world that needs to be built out of the old world. So I think some of these laws reflect that that clash is going to get more and more intense. I suppose the other thing I'd reflect on is obstruction clauses in the new laws in Victoria affecting the local community up here, opposing logging. When my children were little and I lived in the inner suburb, then we had our protests related to the welfare of our local community and our children. For example, setting up the community health centre in Brunswick all those many years ago. The minister at the time, Tom Roper, Minister for Health, who was in the Labor government at the time, and was the local member, was more aligned with the AMA than the local community, and opposed salaried doctors at that community health centre. Now, without going into all the details of why we needed them, I'm sure the listeners would be able to work that out. We had one protest after another, after another, and we won. And so there are still salaried doctors at the community health centre in Brunswick, all these many, many years later. Another one was you'd think it was a basic thing where my children went to school. It was on a very, very busy road in East Coburg and the parents got together and marched our toddlers and our prams up to the town hall to demand a school crossing supervisor and we won. These are really small things, but again I go back to the point that we act from the point of view of living in a community and we think about living in a community on a planet and we always maintain our right to go to the streets to protect each other and to protect the community that we live in
5: yeah look that's great natasha thank thanks for that the history of what it means means to every one of us that uh, when we when we put boots on the street thanks again for your input I just hope that's a little bit informative for you, listener. So, it's the BL from the bush. I'll go out in the same old way. Uh, Dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast, the only show left.
6: They are also allowed to break into your phone if they have a reason to do so. And what we end up with is a surveillance state. What we end up with is multiple government agencies that have legal powers to surveil you when you have not been proven guilty. The underlying tenet of Western law is that you are innocent until proven guilty. What we're moving to is suspicion is enough to take away rights in order to build a case towards guilt. And that's not a legal framework that we agreed to.
3: We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.
0: one left after breakfast it's time to have a chat with glenn the resident historian who's going to tell us today a bit of australian history about some farmers and the army and a war on birds some big birds
1: you're listening to 3cr 855 am on digital and on the internet www.3cr.org.au
0: well hello there glenn how are you Good
7: morning yourself.
0: Terrific.
7: You know I've been watching Andy Day for God all my life, and you know, seeing they come out, they, they commemorate the Great Trade War and the war against Fascism, like the Boer War, Vietnam, the uh, Iraqi conflict. But it's one war that I don't recognise or celebrate. That's the uh, the Great
0: Emi War. Just a minute, Glenn. We're talking about wars, aren't we? You said the the Great Trade War and. Said the Boer War and other wars thrown in there. And, and now you're saying, what? Well, Emu? Where's that? Um,
7: well, not Emu's, not a place. Emu's are a species of flightless bird that live on this continent. And there was a, a big war, the Australian military fought back in 1932 against the Emu's.
0: Truly? Emu's?
7: That's right, Emu's. Why are you calling it the Emu War? Actually, Emu's were a large flightless bird. They take precedence on the Australian coat of arms, and they've run across the continent. They're everywhere.
2: Hmm.
7: But they also they also cause enemies too. Um, and so after the Great Trade War, soldiers came back to the land fit for the heroes, and some given land. There's a farming community in Western Australia called Campion, and farmers went there. And in 1932, there was this huge influx of emus. And the emus decided to move across to the, the Campion area. I didn't just eat the farmers' crops. They trampled the fences. The rabbits got in, and the farmers uh, were happy at all. They're fence tramplets and also crop eaters. So the farmers would bugger you. We'll get some shot. We'll get some guns we'll shoot you. These ex-soldiers. So I thought, okay, let's get some support from the uh, upper echelons. And I spoke to a fellow called Major Meredith from the Royal Australian Artillery. He said, "I okay, I'll help you. I'll organise two Lewis machine guns, heavy machine guns." and 10,000 rounds of ammo to shoot those birds. So this Major Meredith. That's him. And uh, on the 2nd of November, 1932, the military arrived, they set up guns, and they saw 50 emus approaching. Ah, easy peasy. And they opened fire. And the birds escaped everywhere. <laughs> they escaped left, right, center, back and forth. But they ran away. And they might have killed one. And the next few days, they had been at these exhibitions shooting emus. And there will be a thousand emus, that's line up for two guns, and they'd run every direction which is possible. And they may be over the next few days, they may have be killed between 50 and 100 emus. And emus were also, the guns also failed too. It was wet weather, the guns jammed. So it didn't work, and this big plan to decimate the emu population wasn't a go up. So what do you do? You sit back and you, you call it a truce to the
0: great emu war. It's fairly. Heavy approach, though, isn't it? We have a problem with emus. They're knocking down the fence. No, well, let's go and shoot them. Let's yeah. go and shoot with these great big guns.
7: That's right. Well, the farmers had... Ro- the farmers were exiled. They had rockets. They were killing one here, one there. But we needed more. We needed machine guns. And it didn't work. So after a few days, they had a bit of truce Okay, fence. We'll come out again a few days later. And we'll try it again. And over about a week and a half of heavy machine guns that didn't fire and bullets had missed and emus, that were indestructible. They said, OK... Ways the right flag to be emus. we given up. So the Great Emu War lasted about a week and a bit, and the figures they killed maybe 100, 200 out of 20,000, and they still trampled the crops and crashed the fences. So the Great Emu War was a very one-sided war, and uh, the humans didn't win.
0: The emus won. That's right. I still think it's a fairly heavy response.
7: They were protected until 1922. I'm not sure why, how they were, and they're part of
0: our coat of arms. So, I wonder why they stopped the protection.
7: Because of um, the trampling crops in these areas. They, <laughs> they, they call the Emu woman. I'm surprised they planes as well. As the Emu can't fly, planes can fly. They could have flown planes out and bombed them. But I, it's, well, it's, it's, it's ludicrous using machine
0: guns. They, they still would have run in every other direction, though. They did. <laughs> <laughs> they did. The boards went here, the Emu's went there, and okay, look. And apparently, it would take me 10
7: bullets to bring an enemy down. They're big birds. So it was a very brutal, flawed process. And They put no credit on the Australian army or the Australian farming community.
0: No, no. I still sort of finding it hard to envisage people. I sort of had an image of you know, young men marching off to fight the Emu war hmm. to the strands of Walsing Matilda. Yeah. <laughs>
7: you know, the pipe band and stuff, a Scotch pipe band and the machine of guns course, being set up. Of yeah, orders been given, and you know, and the birds did not know what it meant. Basically, the bullets
0: they just ran away everywhere. They
7: went left right,
0: and yeah, as farmers, well, ex soldiers, who would have been good shots that had plenty of bloody practice?
7: Well, they were, but again, the, the, the rifles weren't sufficient. They wanted machine guns. There's it's too many Eames to kill, 20,000. Well, the
0: farmers so, for you, they, they always want more, don't yeah, they? They want more and more.
7: They're the backbone of a nation. These, oh. these ones, and this is a land fit for heroes. They came back from the great trade war, they promised a land fit for heroes. Here's your land. And his bloody enemies. What are you <laughs> do you do? Papa shoot him?
0: Of course, it makes me think. It reminds me, just an aside here, Glenn, about um, baboons in South Africa. Okay. And the farmers there had trouble with baboons who would come in and steal their fruit, Lucky business. or their crops. That's just that's what baboons do. Hmm. They live there, you know, for, for yonks, and all of a sudden these Dutch farmers come in and put up fences, and they say to, to the baboons, "Sorry, you know." You can't have this this fruit because it's mine. I'm the farmer here. Well, the baboons didn't understand that. And they said just sort of jump over the fence (laughs) and pick all the stuff. And the farmers used to go out with their rifles to shoot them. But whenever baboons saw, you know, a man with a sort of stick Mm. thing raised up, they'd run. And they they could never, they could hardly shoot one of the baboons because they were so terrible Mm. as they saw, like, the rifle go up. So then the... The boar farmers had this idea that they'd hold the rifle down by their side and they wouldn't lift it up until they got close to the baboons. But the baboons soon woke up to that one. As soon as they saw any human man approach, they'd just run. So then the boar farmers got a much better idea. They put on their wife's skirts and the baboons didn't run for a while when they saw the skirt, but it didn't take them long to wake up that the... I just thought it was an hysterical
7: story. I mean, there's a pattern here. There's the boar farmers, there's Australian farmers, and there's something which is missing from the equation. I mean, where's the thought process?
0: Well, you know, this land is your land.
7: Well, I said, this is a land picked for heroes. Mm. I said, they came back from the Great Trade War. They fought for king and empire to keep the world safe and British and um, get these farms and the body image, eat their food. And then the rabbits get in too. Like, what more can you do?
0: Well, last it. Yeah. Rabbits, we can... Put that down to one man who imported rabbits for fun. No one's talking about a war against caterpillars at the moment, I hope. That's my two bobs worth today.
7: Before I leave, I'll say, in the words of my forebears, chuckular.
6: Let me tell you what, an to with an old man He's got a beak and feathers and things But the poor old fetter ain't got no wings Aren't you jealous of the wedge-tailed eagle? I'm no, well, the eagle's flying round and round To keep his two feet firmly on the ground Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you I can run the pants of a kangaroo He can't fly, but I'm telling you He can run the pants of a kangaroo Well, he was the model for the 50 cents um, The designer should have had more sense Take a look, it'll prove to you I ran the pace of that kangaroo Take a look, it'll prove to you He ran the pace of the kangaroo I loop the loo like a cockatoo. Um, better da da da. and toss like an albatross. Um, better da da da. Silly galar. I'm um, better by far than a white cockatoo or a badgery gar They squeak and squawk and try and talk. <laughs> well, I man, them's like cheese and chalk. But I do. not He got up and I'm telling you, I can run the pants like a kangaroo. Well, the dingo came around one day. Um, hey there, Emu, you wanna play? But the Emu was too smart for him. Walked right up and kicked him in the shin. He can't fly, but I'm telling you, we can run the pants of a dingo too.
0: Oh, yeah, but he had to kick me in the shin first.
6: The last time I saw old man he knew He was chasing a female he knew him. As he shot past I heard him say She can't fly but I'm telling you She can run the pets of a kangaroo She can't fly but I'm telling you She can run the pets of a kangaroo Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um ba da 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 can sing, but he ain't pretty, um but da 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 Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. He you can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pets of a kangaroo. Well, the cook of our laughed and he said, it's true, um ba da 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 da
0: Now, I don't want to distress you, dear listener, but I must bring up the subject of Peter Dutton. We don't have a date for the Aston by-election yet, but that should be fun to watch. Aston is 113 square kilometres covering the city of Knox, and that includes all the suburbs to the East, of east Link between Police Road and Dandenong Creek. Want turner Bayswater, The Basin, Baronia, Knoxfield, Ferntree Gully, Roville and Listerfield. Alan Tudge was holding that seat, but he has now resigned to spend more time with his family. They always say that, don't they? I'm resigning to spend more time with my family. Perhaps Tudge is really saying I'm resigning because they're going to get me and hang me out to dry because of robo The swing against touch really could be put down to his own personality and behaviour, but it was really quite clear that the result out there was one of the Melbourne mood against the Morrison government. The Liberals lost seats like Deputy Leader and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg because the party was seen as out of touch on issues such as climate change and respect for women. There was the smell of corruption and all sorts of secret and unaccountable funny business and the partisan use of public resources. The economic competence of ministers from the prime minister and down was also under attack, including that disaster in which Tudge played a role robo debt. We will find you, we will track you down. You will have to repay those debts and you may end up in prison. Public perceptions of that robo-debt were bad enough, especially after the Morrison government had acknowledged the fundamental illegality of the scheme. But since then, the odour of the scheme and the role of ministers in causing that disastrous scheme has become much more on the nose. Now Dutton is untouched by robo-debt. But he'll be struggling during a by-election to avoid facing up to the subject, given that many of the typical victims of that kafka scheme were just the people living out there in Aston. And the public will forget Robo-debt only when there's some incredibly clear punishment of its architect. I reckon Tudge was being prepared for a scapegoat role, a matter which may have prompted him to spend more time with his family. But frankly, listener, he's just small bickies. He was only a junior minister at the relevant time. But the ones with the finger in the pie during that dreadful scheme were Morrison, Christian Porter, Paul Fletcher, Kevin Andrews, Dan Tayen, Sarah Henderson and for Ferranti-Wells. Some of these, of course, are now politically dead that collectively the record of their management of social security and human services is the moral advantage that Labour is not going to sacrifice for the mere end of a career from a man already swinging there in the breeze. Aston is not Dutton's ideal arena, not even for an all-in mud fight. And we have to look at Dutton's familiar ground with the politics of race, inclusion and exclusion, and he sneers for progressive causes. Now, there's a strong Victorian memory of Dutton's intervention at the second-last state election, where he, and to his lasting shame, Malcolm Turnbull, where he tried to base a populist law and order campaign on the alleged, well, when I say alleged, I mean totally fabricated depredations of Sudanese migrants. That tactic rebounded, as it should have, increasing Labour's vote so this by-election out at Aston is going to be something to look at it will be the test for Peter Dutton to see if he can shake off this (laughs) I'm saying image if he can shake off this terrible image that he has as a ghoul and whether he's any good at leading a party a party that's lying flat on its back anyway but I'm pretty sure that the Somali people who live out that way aren't going to forget what he said about them. I certainly haven't.
4: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR
0: Digital in
1: Melbourne.
0: Okay, everyone, that's it for this episode of Left After Breakfast. Thanks for your company. Thanks for the ride. See you, same time, same place, next week. And until then, cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast.